Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Face to Face. This is a show about change and about what's next. It's a show that wants to ask questions, peel back the layers of our average everyday experience, and go beyond scratching the surface. We interview amazing people with incredible ideas and stories who have done wild, weird, and wonderful things. Remember that imagination shared create collaboration, and collaboration creates community, and community inspires social change. I'm David Peck, and this is Face to Face. My next TIFF interview was with the filmmaker Brian O'Malley. We talked about his new film, a psychological horror called The Lodgers. And, I mean, this is, this is a movie that completely took me by surprise. I am not somebody who is steeped in the horror tradition. I've seen a few uh, films along these lines o- over the years, and I was deeply engaged. This is a beautiful film. This is a, a complicated uh, film. It's, a, it's a, a story that unfolds in front of us, but in, 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 a, in a deeply psychological way and, and bordering on the horrific. But what's really interesting about it, some profound insights about who we are and about choice and about responsibilities. I love the fact that they filmed this in a haunted house in Ireland that was in its 666th year. Uh, and apparently uh, none of the cast or, and or crew would stay at the house. Uh, Brian talks about how, how melancholy has made him feel over the years. We talk about, about water and its importance in the film and guilt and love and, 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 and how the house as a metaphor was in a state of dereliction. It's, it's, it's an interesting and engaging piece and as again I said just gorgeous gorgeous to look at. So uh, coming right up, Brian O'Malley and the Lodgers. Don't forget davidpecklive.com for more information about my uh, speaking and writing, face-to-facelive.ca for all of my interviews, and uh, rabble.ca as well for more information there uh, about uh, the news for the rest of us. Coming right up, Brian O'Malley and the Lodgers. Well, welcome to Face to Face. We're joined by another very special guest today, director Brian O'Malley here is today to talk uh, to us about uh, his new film, The Lodgers, which is uh, going to be uh, showing in, in, in about 10 days, uh, very soon at the Toronto International Film Festival. Brian, thanks for your time today. I, I, I really appreciate you joining us. Thanks so much for having me, David. I'm, I'm really delighted to talk about the film, finally, to are be you? able to discuss it. Oh, that's awesome. So are you calling from Dublin? Are you in Ireland currently? Or? Yeah, I'm in Dublin, Ireland right now. It's um, about 7 o'clock in the evening. I think it's about uh, is it 11 a.m. your time. 
ish. It it is actually it's about ten to it's about one fifty two. So I think we're about six hours okay, behind yeah. you guys, okay. something like that. Yeah. You're far more progressive than we are. You've got six hours on us, Brian. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Time travel. So so why why horror? Is that a fair question right out of the gate? Why why a horror film for you? Yeah, I think it is a fair question. I mean, if you take a step back to my first film, that is, you know, beyond the shadow of doubt horror. Uh, I mean, I think it's psychological thrillerish, supernatural thrillerish horror, but it's still horror. And I found myself in 2013, and we shot it in 2015, or 14, sorry, came out in 2015, with an opportunity to make a movie, and it was a horror. And I'm a massive fan of genre movies, um, including horror. I mean, the first horror I ever saw was Halloween by John Carpenter, which I saw when I was... Yeah, so I was about 13, and it kind of blew my mind. But I'd actually been a little bit spoiled, I think, because that was kind of, I think, you know, not necessarily the first, but it was one of the, the first elevated horrors of the time that came to prominence. Uh, and uh, I found very much, as I grew older, I always kind of wished people would go back to that type of a horror movie. Uh, but my interest as a director expanded way beyond horror into science fiction and thrillers, uh, etc. And uh, so, you know, I was always very open-minded about what I might make. But when Let Us Pray came my way, it was a horror and I fully embraced it. So that's kind of how that started. Is it is it the story? Is it the goth side of it? Is it the, and yeah. I know, you know, there's a few allusions to Edgar Allan Poe in the film, but is are you a huge fan of, of, the, of the Raven, for instance, the poem? There's a great line in the film, by the way. I think it's one of the characters who says, yeah, I don't, I don't have a whole lot of time for poetry, <laughs> which, yes, which, which clearly, which clearly I think the Irish do from what I know. Yeah, no, they absolutely do. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I mean, that's obviously a reference to that character is what he's been through in the last number of yes. years. Poetry hasn't been has been the last thing on his mind, but David Turpin, who wrote the film, is a is a doctor of Gothic English literature, so he's absolutely steeped in uh, in in you know the history of Gothic literature and the and the poetry etc. So it is a as a script, it was a film that was kind of dripping with that. But personally, as a director, I'm a massive fan of 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 Gothic cinema, if you like. Uh, I, if strangely, I would say that all started with an obsession with Depeche Mode in the in the uh, mid to late 1980s. Uh, I've always that interesting. Yeah, I've always been drawn to that. There, even though I'm a, a very positive person, uh, uh, and I always see the positive side of things musically and in terms of films, I've always been drawn to very dark subjects. Um, so the gothic aesthetic in terms of you know visuals and music has always appealed to me hugely and i i, I would credit to pesh mode with that that's hilarious so yeah. i've read a little bit a little bit of background on the film i've read a couple of interviews with some of the actors in in the film and they refer to you you know as just being a wonderful guy to work with such a good guy a lovely guy i think was the direct yeah. quote why how and why are you so drawn to the dark and the melancholic? Would you say is it is it just is it is it is it is it purely a stylish thing, or is there something else going on there, Brent? Yeah, it, it's it's a that's a great question. I think I really lo- always liked when I was young and and when I was found an interest in film. I really liked how melancholy made me feel because mm. um, I. I you know, when you're a teenager and you're you're you know you're struggling with struggling with your emotions and uh, the various things you're going through. I always found more melancholic music and cinema kind of eased my soul, if you like. 
And then, you know, you get older and you, and, you, and you get a grip on yourself. But I've always been drawn. <laughs> yeah, I've always been drawn to that sort of uh, cinema and music. Um, I find it very comforting to watch and to listen to. So, so, so I would, I I mean, I would imagine most people go to see horror films. I'm, and I got to be really honest with you. I I have not seen that many horror films over the years. And I I don't know if this is what horror is all about. Count me in, by the way, congratulations on a beautiful film. I mean, it's gorgeous to look at and, and the performances are stunning. So clever uh, and really, really interesting on so many levels. I mean, it appealed to me on, on, on relational levels. There's politics going on here. There's, there's, there's sexuality. There's questions about sexuality. It's fascinating, fascinating film. So, so thank you. I oh, am yeah, pleasure. I mean, it was a pleasure for me to direct, and certainly you can imagine when I was reading the script for the first time, like there's a there's a part in the script where um, Rachel is accosted, if you like, by um, uh, Sean in the forest, and uh, uh, she says, "You you you wouldn't follow me all the way home." limping like that would you and he said i would have, i would if you asked me to and when i read that that exchange i just thought okay this writer really knows how to play with nuance and i would say that was the moment in the script when i went did i think this there's something very special going on here well uh, it's a perfect to brian is it fair to say that this i mean this is this is modern existentialism um in the in, in the making coming out on screen you know this is about a woman who's 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 looking for freedom? Who who is not going to? Who who says you know forget it? Forget the fate. Forget the determinism. I I want to step out and and decide and choose and and be free and responsible. And that that's kind of one of the sort of the subtext I certainly saw. Yeah, and uh, that's absolutely there. And I and I think that's really beautiful for on two levels. It's beautiful because uh, what you've got is a is a period story with a a, a woman who if someone who represents a modern you know the future of, of, of a modern irish woman and i think that's certainly why i was drawn to it because i really liked the idea of her being this very modern character in this uh period film but also she very much represents what ireland was about to become because it was 1920 so that's four years after we had the rising against the british and mm-hmm. two years before we gained independence, and, we, uh, and which led to us becoming a republic, so you, you have a country that's in transition, that's that's on the verge of of being free of its his, his ancestral shackles, and discovering what it might be, uh, and a, a central character who's in exactly the same position, and I thought that was a beautiful and uh, it it was an absolutely intentional. Uh, part of the character and whilst that's not something that's necessarily going to travel because we still live in a world almost 100 years later where people think uh, Ireland is in the UK but um, uh, certainly for me I thought that was a beautiful um, parallel between the character and the country. It's really interesting just this sort of it's not I was going to say coming of age. It's not that I mean, it's it's something we all do throughout the age. It seems to me throughout our lives We're we're always coming to terms with those with our freedom. I mean, isn't that what the the French existentialist said? It scares the heck out of us. We don't know what to do with it. And and isn't I mean on some level isn't that I suppose what 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 horror is really all about with the psychological aspect the fear the fear of the unknown. I mean Edward at one point says I think you know if you've seen the world I have you'd know you're safer here you know you're safer yeah. in the house don't don't yeah, don't dare Sean. go outside yeah yeah that's Sean of course yeah 
And of course, she she can't imagine there's anything in the outside world that could be as horrifying as what she is expected to endure. So so that's fascinating. But and then of course Edward, the brother, he then right. represents the other side of it, where um, he he doesn't have the, the strength or the bravery to to right. that step outside. And he's, he, the, he's, he's the he's the antithesis of of that yeah. wanting to 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 become a, a truly human, I guess you could say. Yeah, and he's destined to remain in the past. So I understand you actually shot the film in a haunted house. Is this true? Apparently, <laughs> yes, we did. We shot apparently. it. Apparently, yeah, apparent. Well, apparently it's haunted. Yeah, we shot it in a house called Loftus Hall, which is in part uh, in a part of Ireland in Wexford. It's called Hookhead. You've probably heard of the term by hook or by crook. Of uh, course. Yeah, well, that refers to Hookhead in uh, in Wexford, which is interesting. Um, so this house is perched um, actually on a fairly barren piece of land. We had to create the shrubbery and the trees outside, but it's actually on a, basically a wide open space near the edge of a cliff beside the sea. Um, but uh, it's a, the house turned 666 years old and was <laughs> last year yeah i know believe it or not and uh but the, the house as as we see it in the film which uh is represents a, a, an extensive rebuild that occurred about 250 300 years ago so when you and, and we shot it entirely on location there isn't there are no sets in the film so when you stepped when I, when certainly when I stepped inside that house, it was like traveling back in time and you cross that threshold, which you you see one of the characters do in the film. But when you when you when you do it for real, you really do feel like you've stepped back through time, and you're in this time capsule because everything in the house—the walls, the doors, the floors, the staircase—are hundreds of years old, and that's a kind of a really remarkable thing to experience on a daily basis for the few weeks we were in the house. I bet, I bet. Um, Jer- uh, Jeremy, Jeremy Bentham, the philosopher, father sort of of utilitarianism, I'm pretty sure it was him who said something to the effect of the reason we believe in ghosts is because we've never actually really seen one. And I think it's a really interesting notion. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's scientific, it's empirical. Did you guys have any sightings in the house while you were there? Anything that, that led you to believe that maybe you'd stepped, uh, you know, you'd gone in a little too deep? I didn't personally. It's funny. Um, on one hand, I, I think, do you have to be open to these things for, for them to happen? But maybe that's the very time it's going to happen, you know? And, and I'd be lying if I was to say to you that I'd happily stay in that house on my own overnight because I don't think <laughs> I don't think I would. However, someone did. One of the um, uh, members of our crew who was actually the uh, caretaker of the house, but he became a member of the crew while we were shooting. He s- stayed uh, on several occasions in the bed that's in the film, the big gone red Gothic bed. Wow. Okay. He stayed in it, and he said the first night he stayed in it, he lay down on the bed to go to sleep. And after a couple of minutes, because it's it's a three-story building and the, the bedroom was in the middle floor, um, uh, he said that above him in the room above, he heard footsteps circling around the room above him. Uh, and uh, that's a pretty that's pretty creepy. And well, he's not that's, that's be- prone to that sort of thing. He's very open-minded about it. He says, I don't believe in this, but this is what happened last night. Yeah, so just so you know, the creep factor goes up when a, a director of horror films finds something like that creepy. That that just <laughs> changes the conversation, right? Yeah, yeah sure, yeah. Tell me what about, tell me, tell, I mean, 
it's 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 a stunning film. The, the the colors, the outside colors are so beautiful and gorgeous. The greens, the life. Can you tell me a little bit about the contrast, the cinematography? Was that really deeply intentional from a storytelling perspective? You know, the light, the darkness, the uh, you know the, 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 that that simple sort of imagery of good and evil. And then I want to ask you about about Irish Catholic guilt. Yeah, okay. <laughs> well, <laughs> um, so, yeah, certainly visually it was. We wanted the interior to have a kind of an, an oppressive, dark uh, atmosphere to it, limited in colour. And then outside, once she left the grounds of the estate, we wanted that to be more inviting to represent somewhere she might want to be. And um, right. so that was, yeah, that was entirely intentional. Um, what we did was we shot the film with um, old uh, Japanese anamorphic lenses, which, um, and I did something similar on Let Us Pray, although I used Russian ones on that, but this time they were Japanese. And they brought a texture to things that made everything feel uh, instantly like, uh, instantly, I suppose, gave them a slightly older feel. So you immediately felt like what you were looking at. Uh, had some history to it. It didn't feel brand new and crisp, which is can be a problem with modern high definition digital cameras that we use. So, so I use those lenses, lenses that you know to help place the film, to give it a little bit more of texture that it felt more a little bit more grounded in the past. But in terms of the lighting, etc., I mean, I, I studied sculpture and I went to art college so before I make a movie I storyboarded entirely mm. start mm. to finish so I had a very clear idea of cinematically how I wanted the film to play out but obviously that all changes and once a cinematographer comes on board and once the actors come on board and you're on the set and you're blocking it out things change hugely but um, uh, between myself and the cinematographer we went to great lengths to make sure that every scene was shot was as beautiful as we could make it and was shot in as interesting a visual manner as it could be. Because when you're shooting inside the same space for two weeks and you're going to reuse scenes and locations over and over again, it's really important to try and not repeat yourself, which I learned in Let Us Pray, um, uh, that you have to always find a way to approach that space slightly differently. So if you, if you can find an interesting visual aesthetic, that then allows you within a space to explore it in a, in a more visually engaging manner. But the first shot of the entire film was that beautiful wide shot in the dining room when Rachel walks up to the window and opens the curtains. And I can recall when the curtains were pulled apart and that beautiful shaft of light came in, that huge sense of relief that the film I had in my head was uh, everybody, I could tell in that moment that everybody around me was in exactly the same space, the DP, the production designer, the cast. And I knew when we did, when I saw that shot on screen and we did a take, uh, we were in for certainly a very beautiful looking film. And I, I, I think it is a very, very fine looking piece of cinema. Yeah, it's 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 absolutely stunning. It's it's gorgeous to look at. I think I mentioned that already, but the and the contrast is just so uh, crisp. I think is 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 a good way to put it. Um, so Brian, tell me tell me if if you can, if you dare, uh, t talk to me a little bit about Irish or just Catholic guilt in general. How about just guilt? Forget about Irish. Forget about Catholic. How about just guilt? Yeah, it's funny. You know, it's something that I kind of around the age of fifteen, I realized was I. Uh, uh, it wasn't going to play any part in my life. So it's it's not something I'd, I'd like to think I don't suffer from it, but I, it's one of those things that I'm not sure you can analyze yourself enough to know whether you really do or not. Um, but uh, it's certainly, 
it is a you know it is a thing <laughs> it does exist i've met many people who suffer from it uh, i suppose it's that the church's ability to make you think that uh you know in some way shape or form anything you do that steps outside what they consider to be you know moral boundaries will somehow come back uh and you'll pay a price for it and that's a, a very yeah. valuable tool in controlling an entire nation which is what the catholic church managed to do we basically it's funny because we were talking about the history lesson earlier on i feel quite strongly that the the irish basically um uh, exchanged one oppressor from another so we went mm. from being oppressed by the british to being oppressed by the catholic church and we kind of thought we were free but we weren't and in many ways i think ireland is only now in the last 15 years 20 years entering a stage of enlightenment um, where more and more people no longer consider the Catholic Church to be a uh, some a, a group of people they should look to for any sort of moral guidance um, and I think I think that's a very good thing yeah I think well I think for me what really comes out in the film is this you know and I think oppression is a great word and I think we all kind of suffer from it call it guilt call it shame um, one of my most recent interviews was with a guy by the name of Peter Gaidich, who went through conversion therapy uh, for right. six years, coming out of a Catholic environment, and they were, uh, you know, claiming he had to get back to his innate uh, heterosexuality. And this, and so he he checks himself in for six years. The the book is called The Inheritance of Shame, and and you wonder to what degree that kind of um, that kind of shame, that kind of guilt, that kind of imposition, what does it do to the psyche? What does it do to the soul? What does it do to our ability to relate to others and to include and embrace? And honestly, I actually think you're dealing with that in this film. I mean, I don't know if you would agree or if you see it or if, you know, David, the screenwriter, would, would want to talk more about it. And maybe that's a subtext in goth horror itself. But I really see that, you know, the, 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 the stain of, of their children's children, I think, was the phrase. You know, it's, yeah. it's as if the, the water water that's that 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 by the way water i don't think i've ever seen water used in such kind of a negative way <laughs> you know <laughs> and it, it it's it's really interesting you really turn that on its head and this kind of washing away of the sin seems to be a theme throughout the film yeah that's fascinating your take on that and, and i'm a firm believer that there are in films often have themes in them that aren't necessarily apparent to the filmmakers, but are, are but are legitimate nonetheless. Because yeah, absolutely, I yeah, I certainly know myself and David were consciously wanted the film to be devoid of religion. We we felt that the family would have abandoned it once once they kind of um, decided to embrace uh, the lifestyle uh, several hundred years ago that they were going to uh, continue with that they would have also abandoned religion. So we felt that certainly the twins were, were uh, had, would have had absolutely no sort of religious background right. or teaching. Um, but I certainly can see how the water, uh, there's certainly a rebirth in it uh, throughout Cur the film. Yeah, well, ultimately it is redemptive, and this is what's so fascinating to me. You you don't feel like you're ever going to get to redemption when you're, uh, it seems to me, in such a dark, oppressive environment like this. And yet, ultimately, because of some choices, because of Rachel taking some responsibility, you know, she, 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 hmm, like, as you said, she, she, she's reborn. Yeah, absolutely. And, 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 and it's interesting that the rebirth is through water, which I suppose is, 
it's certainly a very Christian um, view of rebirth. Uh, and uh, so I, I, you're probably not wrong. There probably are some religious uh, themes in there that, that I wouldn't necessarily have been uh, tuned into. But I suspect if you spoke to David, he uh, he, he may uh, reveal that they were entirely intentional. But I do know between right. the, yeah, I do know between the two of us are the intent. We had discussed the film of being void of religion uh, in terms of the, any of the cast in it or its influence. But if you if you look at the villagers in the film, uh, in reality they would have very much been uh, influenced by um, the church around them. But we chose right. not to make that part of the story or to have any religious characters in it for a number of reasons, partly because we're Irish and we've grown up watching movies with that and we're kind of tired of it. Uh, right. Certainly because we just wanted the film to, um, to exist within its own sort of space. Uh, and we didn't want that intrusion of, of that typical Catholic Ireland to... Uh, Right. Yeah, well, I think, you know, I think what we're talking about is any any kind of work of art, it seems to me, has a whole other level of intentionality. I mean, authorial intention or, you know, the implicit, uh, idea, you know, the indwelling, you know, that 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 you as the filmmaker and then you bring in the editor and the, the, the score is brilliant, by the way. And, you yeah, know, but... you bring all these different, you know, different people into play and they bring their own. Um, worldviews and assumptions and, and how does that actually tease out in a film I mean I don't really truly know deeply relational and, and, and a part of a fascinating creative community but uh, yeah it's, uh, it's, it's, it's quite remarkable how it all how, how, how anyone can make a film actually yeah sure because you know it's one of those things where one, one part of it doesn't work on the day and the whole thing can fall apart and um, <laughs> And actually, it's funny you mentioned the music there, which is David Turpin, the writer of the film, co-wrote the music with uh, Stephen Shannon. So um, uh, his 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 hand is not just on the script on the script writing, but it's also you can hear it moment to moment in in the score. So clear. So Brian, clearly, I'm going to have to ask him about the guilt question. I think is is what you're saying. Yeah, I think you may have to. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. So so so. so so we're going to have to wrap up here in a couple of minutes, sadly, and I'm 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 really looking forward to to having a chat. I hope we get to meet it at the festival coming up in a in the very near future. But there's there's one line that I think is going to kind of haunt me, uh, and no 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 pun intended. And I think that I guess is the goal of a, a filmmaker like yourself. Uh, or, but um, and it's a conversation I think between the twins, the the brother and sister, uh, and the line was, and it could be my paraphrase, but love can be worse. Than hate, and you one know th this is one of the best lines in the film. And I, I mean, I, I went all kinds of places with that, and 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 you know the, the the brokenness of it all. You know, Rachel refers to Edward as being broken, and and maybe never going to be able to 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 get beyond that. I mean, we've got so many metaphors. The house is in a state of dereliction. I mean, it just you know, there's all this. Uh, stuff going on around this family, this dysfunctional family, and 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 ultimately, though, there, it, it, it really, I mean, ultimately, love has to win in the end, doesn't it? <laughs> anyway, yeah. Well, you'd like to think, wouldn't you? I mean, that's another fascinating question. Could does love win at the end? I think it does. Yeah, but it pays the price. Yes. Uh, yeah. Um, but I think it does. I think love is the reason that 
the film concludes as it does, but there's a someone, uh, several people pay a huge price for that love. Um, but uh, I, I do think it wins out despite despite the tragic conclusion to the film. It's not not a bad place to stop, eh? Uh, love winning out. Uh, we're talking to Brian O'Malley here today on Face to Face about the Lodgers' uh, world premiere, uh, I believe, coming up at the Toronto International Film Festival in the very near future. Uh, Brian, thanks a lot for your time. I, I, I've really enjoyed chatting about about a film that, in, in truth, I wasn't sure that I was going to like, and I, I, I absolutely thoroughly enjoyed it on a variety of levels. And uh, yeah, I want to thank you again and congratulations. How are you feeling about about coming to the festival? Well, firstly, it was a pleasure. I really enjoyed chatting to you. It was a well, thank you. very interesting approach to discussing a film. So thank you very much. In terms of the festival, I'm really um, absolutely thrilled that the world premiere is at uh, Toronto. I, I think that's um, you know a huge honor to be to show it for the first time at that festival. And I'm really, really excited for it. I've never been to Toronto. I've been to Montreal. So I'm really excited to see Toronto and to experience the film for the first time with an audience. But that's also genuinely a very nerve-wracking experience for the rest. <laughs> I bet, I I bet it is. I have no idea what people will think of the film, and that's quite nerve-wracking, you know, uh, to sit there. And I won't really know until the next day if, when some reviews come out what people it's, think of it. But that's part of the process, isn't it? It's it's part of the process, and well, listen, I I actually truly think it was uh, uh, it's a it's a marvelous piece of filmmaking, and and I love the film, and and I hope lots of people see it, and I hope lots of people reflect on it for days afterwards. I hope it does, in fact, truly haunt them, and and I and I also hope too, Brian, you you enjoy the festival. I hope I I know I've been working at it for a few years now, and I know that uh, some uh, some people just can't get beyond the, the Q and A's, if you know what I mean. And yes. uh, it sounds like uh, it sounds like you got a whole lot of perspective there anyway so yeah i hope you enjoy uh you know i hope you get to enjoy toronto yeah well i hope so too thank you very much Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher, because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait, is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most. But if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. 
Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.